Welcome to the Best Business Podcast, the podcast for established marketers, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. The ones who want to join me in my mission to create 200 new multimillionaires who solve world problems with entrepreneurship. If that's you, then this podcast was created to give you access to the tools, training, strategies, and tactics you need to achieve multiple seven-figure profits as soon as possible. This world needs the best business you can build, so please get ready, open your mind, believe you can do this, and let's build a better world together for future generations. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Robert Hartline. Robert owns 15 retail locations of Absolute Wireless, which is impressive itself. However, he also is the owner and founder of the online software-as-a-service mobile app called CallProof, which is for field salespeople and staff that automate sales reporting activities in real time. I've asked Rob to join us today and share some of his secrets for delegating effectively, managing multiple locations and teams of employees, as well as hiring, building, and scaling a sales force. So, Robert, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. How are you doing, my friend? Dude, I am great. Perfect. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice again, too. Now, as I mentioned, like that's for some people, that may seem like, wow, I would be so happy if I could just get to that. And I know what it's like. There's some people who are like, oh, that's where I'm trying to get this year. And then there's other people who may have passed you and me both and be like, whatever. But you didn't start where you are right now. And I don't think you kind of grew up owning stores, or did you? How did you even get into business and entrepreneurship? I started selling cell phones back in 94, and I was in college. I needed a, a job uh, while I was in school and found out this company was hiring people to sell phones door to door. Never done anything, any sales-related jobs before. I had, you know, in high school, I did all the typical things you do as a high schooler. But once I found out they were paying for training, I said, dude, I'll be there. And I was there. And, you know, I really got lucky early on and had some early wins where I was able to make a couple of sales in the very beginning. And it kept my confidence up. And, you know, of course, I dealt with the challenges of not making sales, but I stuck with it and it kind of worked out. Shortly after about four years of that and selling commercial accounts in the wireless business, I started a Nextel dealership and kind of was in retail and been in retail ever since. Got it. Okay. So it's a great progression. You start off. What I love is you said they had the free training. You were like, I was all over that. You were invested in your education and you knew you wanted to get trained to get better. And you just kind of worked your way up. It sounds like. Yeah, it was fun. I had a manager who, you know, being in uh, door-to-door sales, you're going to see tons of turnover. I mean, literally guys would come in for a week or two and just, they couldn't do it. They didn't like it, didn't want to do it, or they weren't performing. And my manager used to collect their like name badge when he would fire him, and it was almost like a badge of honor for him to collect these stacks. Really? Of yeah, and it was like I don't want to be in the stack. I wanted mm. the last, and so I, I made it my mission to perform. I, I quickly realized that their method of selling was broken, and mm. I re-engineered their sales process to work for me. I didn't want to work and knock on doors at night. I did that for several months, but I eventually realized that these people that I was knocking on doors were at the office. So I started knocking on office doors, and that's how I got into B2B selling. If I knock on your door at 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock at night, you're probably having dinner. But I would knock on your door at your office, and not only would I see you, but I would see five other of your coworkers at the office. Obviously, it is an easier way to see more people and go where the people are, not their house. That's awesome. I love that. So you went where the people were. 
and you didn't follow the traditional path. You kind of went with your gut, it sounds like, as well. Yeah, that's the history of me anyways is just trying to do something outside of the box. And sometimes I'm a little – I have a habit of trying to find a different way to get to the same goal. Right, right. It sounds like you're an entrepreneur. I don't know. I'm just guessing. That's, yeah, just some, something like that. So let's talk about sales skills a little bit. I like what you talked about. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent I'm interested in going on because that happens. It's not just door-to-door sales, but door-to-door sales really does separate, you know, the people who who can hack it and the people who can't. And that's not, I'm not saying that with tongue in cheek or anything, like it's not an easy job for a lot of people. It's a really important job. Sales skills is super important. But a lot of people, like you said, like your manager, I think for him, he was framing it like he was collecting. And I know in his mind, I just already knew, I was like, if I were me, I'd be collecting those name tags because I knew that every blank name tags got me one step closer to a real winner. So I don't know. Can you talk about that at all? I mean, because you've got this great software tool for helping sales teams. And so... I mean, obviously, there's some major challenges salespeople face. Most of it, you know, the tool that we have is called Call Proof. I built it four years ago because my own pain. It's Proof, P-R-O-O-F. Yeah, yeah, Call Proof, yeah. And the core problem for most owners who are managing salespeople, and we really cater to the outside salesperson, but is the problem of you get a, a salesperson trained get him all the tools and resources to be successful and he leaves your office every day. And if he doesn't come back with a bunch of sales, you're left thinking, did I hire the right person? Did he, does no one want my service? Does no one want my products? And and you just, you don't have the information to make good, good decisions. There is a lot of people that interview great that aren't really highly motivated salespeople. Right. Some of the most interesting (laughs) hires I've ever had were the people that were pretty terrible in the interview. Really? Yeah. And what's crazy is this is what I've you know discovered. I've hired hundreds of salespeople because I'm also in retail and we have actually, uh, we just bought another company. So we're 22 locations, not 15, but wow. you know, we're up to 150 people. And what's insane is some of the best interviews I have, they're not great salespeople. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how to, I don't know why, why it works that way, but I have this new rule. If, if I think the interview went great, I'm suspect. So I'm, I'm suspect. <laughs> And I'm like, my alarm bells go, go off. But, you know, some of the best interviews I have are people that are not interviewing a lot because they don't move around a lot. Mm. You know, if you have someone that's well-practiced in interview skills, that's not a skill I want them to have. Right. I, I want them to be actually quite terrible in an interview. Because they've got no experience at it. Yeah, exactly. And because that means they go to a place, they're successful, and they don't move around. But, you know, one thing I tell everyone that is hiring salespeople, the average underperforming underperforming salesperson will last 10 months in any organization. Mm. So, I mean, I have friends that they're going in and out of sales jobs every 18 months and we all have friends like that. Yep. And it's always the company's fault. Yep. And it's always, it's not them, it's some other company. And I mean, the reality is they're probably, if they're not, you know, if you're not successful in a sales role, there's several reasons you could be not successful, but the leading thing that I've seen over the years and why they're not successful is they're not willing to do the work. Mm. Now, and, what kind of work? Like, I know for us, we already know what that means, but what does that mean? Somebody's like, what work? What's the work that people aren't willing to do? Most successful salespeople, number one, they, they have gotten comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. And what that means is, you know, for most salespeople, either making prospecting calls or talking to strangers is part of their world. Most organizations that are hiring an outside salesperson are needing to go out into the community, 
and let's say you're selling restaurant equipment to mm-hmm. restaurants, they have to talk to a lot of strangers because they get get past the gatekeeper right. and, and actually do a prospecting call. Yep. And the performers are willing to straight up talk to anybody and don't be scared of having the rejection. Right. And, you know, I'll never forget this guy I used to sell phones with. He wore a pair of cowboy boots and he would literally have flyers in his cowboy boots. And wherever he was, he was literally talking to every soul that happened to walk by him. Really? And he just crushed it and he could sell. Now, he wasn't the greatest after the sale. He was like, I don't even know who you are because he sold so much. But there are people out there that. That's a absolute, problem to have. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolute fearlessness that you want. But, you know, unfortunately, not everyone is that way. So there is some management needed to manage a sales team, no, no doubt. Mm-hmm. I like what you said because, and I want to bring this up because I think this is the cause of death for an absurd number of businesses. You said, you know, that they weren't willing to do the work. And he's talked about how you got to meet new people. And I think that's really interesting because I feel like a lot of businesses that get started by people who aren't trained or don't have a mentor or don't have any, you know, like a lifeline, someone to kind of show them the way is that they that's exactly what happens i feel like like most is you know you sit at home most businesses start you know sally loves a big pie so much people are like you should open up a bakery she's like that's a great mm-hmm. idea so she mm-hmm. takes months sometimes even years to plan a design and do the layout of her store and you know and just geek out on all these things that she loves so much and build her dream business and then she opens it and she tells all of her family and friends and everyone comes and makes the token purchase that they have to make And then she goes, now she's got to make all these pies. While she's making the pies, there's no one that's out there meeting new people or trying to bring them into her business. And then she finishes making the pies. And as we all know, the average bit, well, maybe we don't all know, but statistics show that the average business will have a completely new customer base in six years. Just, it's just the way it goes. People come and go. They don't need your services forever. So in six years, you have a completely new customer base. And so, you know, she's just started with her family and friends. They all come make their obligatory purchase after they bought a pie or two. Now she's got all these pies she's made, but there's no one else coming through the door. And I feel like this is where a lot of businesses die because they don't like, how do I meet new people? How do I meet more people? Because what you just said there was really telling for me. You're like, he talked to everybody. He talked to, you know, everybody was around him he was talking to and he crushed it. And like that alone, just for me, was just really powerful because I'm, anyone that listens to my show know I'm an advocate for paid advertising of your business and that you have to do outreach. Like, of course, you want to do content and inbound marketing and all these things. You want to nurture your prospects. You want to keep a list of everyone that's ever been a lead and try to stay in touch with them unless they ask you to, you know, to stop mailing them. You know, things like that. That's just good practices. But you need you need to constantly meet new people. You need that fresh blood for your business. And sales reps mm. and marketing, they are so quintessential for that. So I just want to point that out because for me, that's what that spoke to me. Because right there off the bat, I mean, you're like, they're not willing to do the work. They're not willing to put themselves out there, not willing to go and build the relationships and meet new people. And that's what it is when you do paid marketing. And it sounds like that's what you're doing as a sales rep. So Yeah. And, and you know, to add to that, you know, you, going back to the woman who starts a bakery, you know, designing the shop. That's kind of fun. Uh-huh. This, deciding what to put on the menu. That's kind of fun. Designing the logo. That's kind of fun. Uh-huh. All those things are kind of fun. But when it comes to actually getting customers, going out and prospecting for most people is not fun. Uh-huh. Now, it can be if you make it such. But, yep. I mean, the hardest part of opening any business is deciding to get uncomfortable talking to people that will be prospective customers. Yes. 
And if you can stay in the uncomfortable zone of doing that all the time where it's just it's like everyone brushes their teeth, you know, so everyone should prospect. I mean, it's just a thing that every single day we constantly mm. do. You know, sometimes, you know, there's so many tools now for businesses to kind of market themselves. Mm. But in some businesses, it's an impossibility. I mean, imagine and we have these kind of, kind of clients that let's say they sell janitorial supplies to to big schools and whatnot. Right. There isn't an online marketing gimmick to get them the no. people to go talk to. Nope. So they have to reach out to these large businesses and uncover who the buyer is and get in front of that person. Yep. But I, yeah, yeah, you know, I could go on talking for days about how tough selling can, can be, but it is fun as well. Well, it can be fun. And it's funny because when you're talking about that, it really spoke to my mind because this has happened a few times where I've done the door-to-door sales. And that's part of where some of the best entrepreneurs and best marketers come from, door-to-door salespeople, because they have the experience knocking on doors, dealing with rejection, shaking hands, kissing babies, you know, getting to shoot off of a porch, and then meeting the customers that love you and adore you for what you're trying to do and, you know, and that praise you get. And I remember just this, this happened just this past weekend. I was walking through the mall with my girlfriend. We were just doing running some errands. And we passed by Licenza, which is it's like a ladies' underwear store. And we got in there and got her some panties and bra and whatever while before. But we walked by and these two girls were standing out front and they had this big spin wheel, like win a prize. And I was like, I was like, hmm, that really looks like fun. And the girls made eye contact with me and then they looked at each other and they just started talking. And their body language kind of like turned away from everyone. And I was thinking about how they would get so many more people to do that draw if they would just like call out people like, hey, you, do you want to try this? You know, and that it was a great it was a great promotion. I mean, it was a nice spin wheel. Nothing looked cheap. Everything looked well done and professional. But the people meaning it, and I've seen that like with credit card booths at the mall and people or even at uh, conferences and seminars, people that are hanging out at the booth, they're like waiting for people to approach them versus going out to the audience and engaging with people. So I just love that because it's I think it's saying as entrepreneurs, it's just so easy to sit there and dream and plan our visions versus actually get out and talk to the people and figure out what they really need. So yeah, a good lesson in, in salesmanship when it comes to the whole what you what you call in, in a mall, you would call that barking if I started if you were walking by me and I just started a conversation with me and I was pitching my wares in, in the mall, that it, it's called barking. But in Jamaica they do it best. Yeah. These guys are amazing salespeople. Yep. I mean they just they do everything right. I mean one ex, one example I took my family to Jamaica just a few months ago. We're leaving this excursion we have done. And at the end of the excursion, you know, they make you walk through the little gift shops or whatever. Mm. And these are all like makeshift, almost just like huts. And I'm walking by, I'm ready to get back on the bus. So I'm zoned in. I'm like, all right, I just get, get past everyone. And this one person catches me and said, hey, sir, where are you from? And I said, Tennessee. And he goes, oh, go Vols. I mean, he... <laughs> He knew every single state has a sports team yep. associated with it. Yep. And so he likely doesn't care or follow, but it started a conversation. Right. And right after he said that, the next thing I know, I was holding one of his crafted items in my hand. <laughs> and I didn't reach and grab it. It was like in the middle of, hey, go Vols. It was like I'm suddenly holding this crafted item. And he was, and then I was like, and he's following all the real steps of selling. And that's, you know, getting someone to hold something is mm-hmm. the transfer of Huge. ownership. Yeah. And so, and so as I was holding it, 
he was bringing me inside his hut. So I was inside his domain. And then he was like, oh, I, I got to show you this. I'm just going to give this to you. Your family looks awesome. What's your wife's name? And he hands me these little salt and pepper shakers. And he's telling me this story about how they're related and that this salt and shaker. I mean, he's just telling me this story that I'm sure he's, he's made up, you know, 10 years ago. But next thing I know, I'm walking out in a, with a bag of $80 worth of these things. Right. And I think I more or less went through this whole process because I was like, shit, I'm going to learn something about selling from this guy. Right. You know, he, here's this guy that, you know, literally you can have nothing. I mean, this, is the, this is what's wonderful about sales. Yeah. You could wake up with hardly anything to your name yep. and go to bed with a pocket full of money. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and I, I've seen this over and over. My favorite story I love to tell, and this this one guy probably inspired me more than probably anything else in sales. Is I was when I first bought my, I, I had a my first a, a condo, sitting at my house, and on a Saturday I got a door a, go, a door knock. Right. I opened the door, and there's a guy standing there with a the drill, and he goes, "If I can't put this peephole in your door in less than thirty seconds, it's free." The peephole is $20. And I was like, I looked at him. I looked at my door. I don't have a peephole. If I had a peephole, I wouldn't have opened the door because he looked like a sales guy. <laughs> and so, so here's a guy who autom he automatically knows his marketplace, right? Yep. He just looks. Does your door have a peephole? No. Okay, there's a prospect. And he yep. goes and knocks on this door. Well, sure enough, he got. I paid him 20 bucks. I watched him do six other peepholes in the neighborhood. Yep. And it took him 30 seconds of people. I mean, he was gone in 10 minutes. Yep. I mean, he was like, bam, bam. And he drove away in a brand new Supra. Yep. Well, back then, a Supra, this is 1995, was like the car you want, right? Right. A perfect example of, you know, it doesn't take a lot to generate real income from selling. It's, sometimes it's as simple as a people. I love that. That's a great story. And I love how you brought up how they did it the best in Jamaica. You know, what's so funny is we're so lazy and so we have so much luxury in our first world country. Cause I was, as soon as you said that, I'm like, I felt the same way when I was in Thailand. And then again, when I was in Africa, because of that, like these people, they've got to feed their kids. Like, that's not even like us, like, ah, oh, got to make my car payment and my rent. Like, you know, and we all have luxuries where even if, even if you're like bottom of the barrel, you're still not really going to die. You know what I mean? Like you're still going to like be able to eat and live. These people will die. And so I love it. Like in Thailand, I remember going to the market, they'd be like, hi, my friend. And they put up their hand and I'm Canadian. And of course they shake their hand and then they don't let go. And they're like, hey, how are you? Wow. Who's this girl with, you know what I mean? They start getting the conversation. And it's out of necessity, and they're not afraid. And, you know, sure, if you encounter a lot of them at once, it can sound really aggressive. But there's a catch-22. I mean, the people example is a great one because he's not harassing people that don't need his product. You know, and right, even you exactly. thought yourself that, man, so, yeah, you've been interrupted. Yeah, this guy's at your door. But, man, he's going to do you a service because now you're never going to have to deal with that again. And that's, I think, a really important part to put, that it's not just about being pushy and forcing the sale. It's about being insistent on helping people that you know you could help. And be like, like you know, hey, what's the problem? Thirty. And I, I, even when he said that, like he had a great offer because I would just be. It's almost like a bet. Like be like, all right, you're on. Like thirty. Yeah, seconds. yeah. I like, don't think you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see you can do this. Come on. It's entertainment. So it's like even. I forgot where my questions were because I was all enthralled in this. This little sidebar <laughs> we went. So, but I love what you also you said. You brought up another good point about how the guy in in Jamaica first he established rapport. He put the object in your hand, and the difference between window shopping and shopping is that you interact with something when you're actually looking to buy, whereas with window shopping, you're just looking. You're not touching it. In fact, that's when we say, I'm just looking. I'm not looking to engage with you. I'm not looking to engage with the stuff. I'm just 
looking. So that's a really big key too. You also mentioned they use stories. And that's a really important part too because a story gets people to give you their attention for longer because it's not just cold hard facts. There's a beginning, a middle, and the end. And we're trained mm-hmm. from a very young age that once you start that once upon a time, you know, oh, I got to like, you know, I got to wait till the story's finished. So that gave him the space mm-hmm. to make, you know, his full presentation and tell you the background. And he may have made up that story or it could really be how they're made. I mean, you were there. I wasn't. But at the same time, he got you to give him his time. And if people won't give you their time, they certainly won't give you their money. So that's a great lesson there, too. And again, it comes down to being able to meet people that you can help. So that's great. So what are yeah. some other things that you notice about salespeople? I mean, you've got some valuable skills in here and things that I don't even think you realize might be valuable for the listeners, but just how to manage these massive, effective teams, how to hire and scale sales teams. Because for most companies, that's a huge obstacle. You can find people to bake pies. You can find people to clean carpets. I can find someone with a university degree that can be a trainer in a gym. But how do you get them to buy? How do you get them to sign up? How do you scale sales? And a lot of companies, like you mentioned, they'll hire people and they send them out and everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And that makes it really difficult to have quality and consistency, right? Because you can only knock on so many doors in a day if you're doing door-to-door sales. So what advice, like what are some other big mistakes that you see sales reps making? Well, you know, I would say it's changed the question to what mistakes do you see entrepreneurs make with selling? Sure. And that would be most solopreneurs or the single, you know, they're the founder slash sales guy slash accounting person slash fill in the slashes, right? And one of the things that probably the best advice gotten in the last five years is what Jack Daly teaches about how entrepreneurs should not be the salesperson. Mm -hmm. You know, think of it like this. If you're doing all those jack of all trades things, and you're supposed to go out and find your clients. And then once you get the client, actually perform the service and all the follow-up and all the billing. Well, you're no longer prospecting. Mm-hmm. You're no longer looking for that, getting that next deal. So what ends up happening in a solopreneur world, if you look at their income, their income statement over 12-month period, you see these peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. You know, they're crushing it in December, but they're freaking flat out in January. They're crushing it in February, and then they're flat out in March. And so you have this very inconsistent, unpredictable revenue stream. The first thing a founder should do is outsource your sales team, Mm. meaning get a salesperson to go and promote your product. Even if this person, all they do is go find the clients and put you in a demo or put you in front of a prospect, Mm -hmm. um, that's going to save you so much time because, you know, really – the actual time actually selling is not a lot. I mean, if you look at the last 10 customers you've gotten, you know, sitting at the closing table doesn't take a long time. It was trying to get the people, people getting there. the people, yep. getting people there was taking so long, yep. you know, and just finding a salesperson, it can be a challenge, but it's the best use of your time is finding the right sales guy. Yeah, I agree. I think that building your team in any capacity, this is great. This is actually, I love this because I've done this a couple of times before. A friend, actually, we've done an interview with him. His name is Brad Martineau. It was a great interview. If you're looking to listen to more, definitely listen to that after this. But he did this to me once, and I loved it. This is way early on. I'd hired him for help with something. We were doing a, basically, we were doing some strategy on something. And this is way, way, way back in my earliest days. And it was a successful project, did a great job. But I remember he said something to me. He said, Daryl, have you ever looked up Entrepreneur in the Dictionary? And I said, no, why? He goes, go ahead, why don't you do that for me? And I did it right now for everyone here. And if I look this up on Entrepreneur on, online, which means it must be true. It says, Entrepreneur, a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses. 
And I read it to him, and I'm like, so? And he's like, well, what it doesn't say is the person who answers the phone, cleans the toilets, makes the sales, delivers on the product, does the books, right? Does all the design work, does all the accounting, collects on past due payments. He's like, it's not. It's a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses. So what you said about sales team, it has to do with every aspect of the business, whether it's fulfillment, whether it's the management and the accounting and the admin stuff. If you're the entrepreneur, your role is the vision. You are the visionary. You know the problem people need to have solved and it's your goal to keep everyone on that path. I know I had an issue a long time ago as well where I felt like I couldn't share my idea with other people. I was worried they were going to take it and that may be true and you can use contracts to, to protect yourself but the reality is, is like unfortunately I hate to say it but some most people are so lazy and are so focused on whatever their like thing is that even if they could and you told them all their secrets, they're not, most people aren't even going to like run with it. I mean, I know so many people like myself that have courses that teach people how to be successful with things and we give them to people and you know, there's just the, if you don't if, do anything, right. There's so many, like we call it shelf help. There's so many people that buy it and don't, and you know, it's okay. Cause you need to, it's almost like a bike. Like you got to fall down a few times, right. till you finally get it going. So you got to go through some reading until you're like, Oh, why am I always reading and not doing, but you know, that's just the thing. You, you have to build a team. That's, that's, in fact, that right there, honestly, Robert, is like a huge takeaway for everyone here. Like, build your team. Build the team. That is such an important point. Now, do you have any tips for people who are afraid of either coughing up the money up front to pay for someone who have no idea how to hire and sale or how to manage a sales rep? You know, let's just say for a moment that I was starting a new company and I had zero cash. I had just nothing. Right. And I had a product and I had to sell. Probably the first thing I would do is, you know, if you just give me any product. Just pick a service, um, and I'll, a I'll service? do a story. Yeah, uh, dog sitting. Okay, dog sitting. All right. So probably what I would do if I didn't have a, if I didn't have money to hire anybody, probably what I would do would be find elderly people that needed a, a companion, uh-huh. and I would probably try to mix. The dog sitting with, I'll pick up the dog and ha- and take it to a you know an elderly person t- to watch after your dog, or I would somehow maybe work out a partnership with a an old folks home where uh, maybe it was part of some bigger program. But ah. or least, another way to look at it is, let's say you were selling printing services, yep, and you needed a salesperson to rep your to rep your printing, but you couldn't afford someone. So what you may want to do is find a salesperson that's selling a different product but is in front of the same audience that he could add that to his mix. And so he's already got the relationships and all he has to do is say, hey, by the way, I really appreciate you buying my promotional products, but I also do printing as well. If you don't mind, next time you need something printed, can you let me give you a quote and then pay that sales guy a commission? So, And there's tons of guys that want to monetize their relationships yeah. and sell these. I mean, people don't buy from companies. No. So many companies think that they're so awesome, but no, yes. your company name is so irrelevant. And it's so yes. funny when I hear a salesperson sit in front of me with their little flip chart and be like, we've been in business for 68 years. We're known for quality product. It's like, nobody cares. Like if you like the sales guy, you're going to buy from the sales guy. Yep. Yep. And it doesn't matter if he's selling, you know, toilet paper or insurance uh, you just like the guy. Yep. That's so well said. All things being equal, people want to do business with their friends. All things not so equal, people still want to do business with their friends. And yep. I love how you say that because it's exactly it. You don't have a relationship with a big logo or big storefront. You have a relationship with the people who work there. So mm-hmm. – 
That's a great, that's actually a huge tip. Another way to put, to put that would be like a strategic alliance, but that exactly. would be business owners between business owners. So in your examples with the dog training, the first, your first thing was like, all right, I need to get out of doing the fulfillment. I'm here to help solve a problem for people. I'm not here to do the problem solving myself necessarily. You just need to help get it done. So I love that because when I brought up the dog one, which was a wild card, your first step was I need to free up my time so I can be available to figure out the solution, right? Yeah, yeah. To figure out the sales solution because that's where it is. And a lot of people listen to this. It might be a hard pill to swallow, but the money is not necessarily in doing whatever you do, the dog sitting or the printing. Mm-hmm. You know, the money is in finding the clients. And I mean, that's really is. Like Zig Ziglar said, you can have everything you want as long as you help enough people get what they want. And that's a really important thing because it's it really, sales is about serving people. It's about trying to be a stern but loving parent. And that's where you get the idea of the pushy salesperson. People do it wrong, take it the wrong way. But if I knew I had the cure for arthritis and you, the listener, were suffering from arthritis and you were a friend of mine and you, you like you have a friend who's just being dumb, you know, and they just won't like just dude, just Larry, just just take the damn pill. Larry, just mm-hmm. take it and call me in the morning and let me know. You'll thank me later. Right. Like you've, we've all had those kind of conversations like a good friend will do that for you. But people are afraid to do that with strangers. And part of that comes from. I think being able to meet people, build rapport quickly, and not and not think about what you're going to gain because it's not about you; it's about them. You mm-hmm. know, I liken it to a black box. Your business should be like a black box where, if we took a dentist's office, people come in crying and in pain on one side, and they come out on the other side, other side, happy and smiley and pain free. And that black box is the receptionist, the clean, you know, the dental assistant, like all that stuff is in there, right? It's a nicely oiled machine that you've organized and have checklists for how to run everything, yada yada yada. And then your goal is if you solve problems for people, you need to find every single person you can help and help that person. And you will be rewarded with money. Like what you were saying, Rob, how you can start your day with nothing in your pocket and end your day with a fistful of cash. And I mean, any kid that went out with a lawnmower or a snow shovel has done that, you know? So that's great. I really, selling a different product to the same audience. That's a great tip for anyone. And it's funny. If if you went to someone in their sales in their 20s and made a pitch and say, hey, listen, I know you're going and calling on restaurants, but to sell XYZ, but we sell this, you know, we have this magazine where we sell these, these coupons. If, do you think you could, you know, sell these same business owners, these ads and I'll pay you commission. They'd be like, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. And they just, they don't think that way. Yeah. But you know, the reality is, you know, if it's hard to get to your audience, then why on earth would you try to recreate the wheel and build relationships with that audience when there's already people that have those relationships there? Go right to those people. Let those people use their influence to sell. And you just got to find the right people. And, you know, and I tell everyone that's one method of selling. The other way is find a flurry of bird dog relationships. Mm. And, and these are just people that are that are in the know. They're going to feed you and you pay them referral fees for successful wins. So you make me an introduction, you know. So many people I've heard, well, that's that's unethical. You know what? That's just what life is. You know, that's the way it works. And I want to live in a, in a world that I'm able to help leverage someone else's relationships they've earned for years mm-hmm. and actually make that monetize for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Online, we call that joint ventures or affiliates. Yeah. I mean, really? Amazon, yeah. that's how Amazon got built. Amazon was built on people 
sharing links and linking the stuff on Amazon and getting a percent of the deal. That's what built Amazon. That's what put Amazon on the front forefront of e-commerce online is they were the first ones to do an online affiliate, like a, basically a referral program that tracked what people came from what links and they paid people out on that. So it's very ethical. And it, you know, if you like Amazon, you're a fan of Amazon. I mean, it's what built their business from the start. And in fact, that's one of the quickest ways to grow any business. We've talked about this before on other calls, how if you have a product or service, you know, if there's, if you can talk to the people that are leading your industry and get them to, I mean, it'd be like getting put on Oprah, you know, about your product. I mean, she would sell hundreds, thousands of euros an instant. Now you got to be careful. Here's a caveat to that. I know maybe Rob, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was something called the Oprah effect where they'd actually have to audit businesses before they feature them or even mention them on the show because they'd kill them. Because right. they would send them so much traffic, the people couldn't keep up, and the negative reviews and the negative feedback would like it would just piss people off, and then mm. now you're trying to come out from underneath all these all the like these negative you know Google reviews and all that stuff. So they would actually have to audit some people, but that's a champagne problem to have. So that's a great tip. What else you got for us, Rob? This is some great stuff. How do we build and scale a sales team? So find people who are already selling something, offer them a commission. Whew, now I don't need to worry about paying them a monthly salary. Mm-hmm. I got someone who's going to be selling and out there helping grow my business and me- introduce new people to me. Find bird dogs, which is just someone who has a lead, basically a referral that can pass it off to you, be a source of traffic and new leads. How else do we grow and scale a sales team? Yeah, one of the things that we do with our clients, when we onboard a client, the number one thing any sales team should have is, number one, understand who their market is. And so if your market is 100 potential companies in, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, typically what we'll do is we'll take their current customer list, we'll find like businesses Uh and load up their database so they have prospects and clients. And so we'll discover, all right, how often should your salespeople be in front of these prospects? And I typically tell, I usually tell people that if you're in a world where you only have like 100 potential buyers, you want to get a no or be in front of these people every quarter. So you're always there ready to pick up the slack. And when they, you know, lose a relationship with their vendor or whatnot, or, you know, I tell people all the time, make sure you, that's why you follow LinkedIn is you want to see when they change the position. Mm. You want to find, you want to find out when, when Sally, who said no last month, gets another job with somewhere else. I want to be in there with that new prospect. So now I I may have been told no last month, but this new person doesn't know who I am. Mm. And so maybe I can earn the business now, but you know, knowing who your market is and having a plan to dominate that market by being in front of the people that were likely by. And if, if you do that and help your salespeople have a plan to be in front of those 100 people, uh-huh. then you'll be successful. If you do what like a lot of small business owners do, they hire Johnny, spend 120 days getting Johnny trained on what he's supposed to do, and they say, all right, Johnny, good luck. And so Johnny's like, well, who do I? So the next thing you know, Johnny's you know looking up Yelp for businesses to call on. He's kind of has no game plan on who he's supposed to be selling to. So he's having to find out who the prospects are. And you're asking him to do all those things as, and be a salesperson on top of that. Mm. And it's not right. And so, you know, what we do is we build a plan. We load it in the database. We have an easy app for them to see their prospects based on where they are located. And we help him, meaning the owner of the company, know the daily activity in real time of what their salesperson is doing. And if you can hold people accountable to do the activity to be successful and they make money, they'll love you for it. I'm a big believer that most salespeople 
they need someone to help them stay motivated in the game. For one, this happens to lots of people. You may make your first cold call of the day and it totally take the steam out of your entire week. Right. You know, that one guy that was a jerk to you and you got to go keep calling on other people and you're just unmotivated. Yeah, motivation is huge. I mean, it's not an easy thing, but again, I think it's a really important thing because without proper sales reps, we wouldn't have fax machines, we wouldn't have all the things that we have today. It's a very, very noble sport. Sport. <laughs> it's a very noble trade as long as it's done right and ethically. You know what's great about you calling it a sport? Because it is a damn sport because you have points involved and it's money. Like, mm. like, like any, mm. any good sales manager knows you rank your salespeople and that's how you get people to perform. And, you know, yeah, it is a sport. And someone that's, like, highly competitive, mm-hmm. let's say they were competitive in sports and they're getting sales, they're going to be competitive with, with the sales numbers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's a clear definition of whether you're successful or not because you have a lot of sales. Right. And it's a number of how many people you've served and helped. Absolutely. So how do we find some of these sales reps? We talked about managing the team. We talked about managing them based on the money that they're making. How do we find some of these people? How do you know if you hire? I mean, you talked about it a bit at the beginning when you're saying if they interview really well, you're a little concerned. So what sorts of things are you looking for when you are trying to hire a sales rep? You just put an ad up and anyone that kind of answers the ad, you give them an interview? Is there a screening process? Is there certain things, answers you're looking for? Well, you know, Jack Daly recommends that every every sales manager or owner that's hiring salespeople should be constantly recruiting and you should have 15 people that you're always recruiting. And so, you know, one of the first steps you could do is get on Facebook and type, let's say, let's say you were looking for a salesperson and let's say you had just had a small business and you wanted a salesperson working in the store. Mm-hmm. I would I'd get on Facebook and say, friends, please comment on your favorite salesperson of any shop you've been into in this town hmm. and get them to say, oh, Johnny at so-and-so store, he is so awesome. And so, boom, there's a prospect. Hmm. And you want to go to that store and recruit that guy. Let your sphere of influence provide the salespeople for you. Now, obviously, you can do post and, and job boards. And keep in mind, you're getting people that don't have work. Yes. Good people have work. Good people don't need a job. Hmm. Does that make sense? Because they're already working. Now, what you want to be is the knight on shining armor comes in that, hey, I got this better opportunity for you. You know, I've known business owners who pay private investigators to go out and find salespeople. They'll literally go shopping places and you can get these private guys for far cheaper than you would ever imagine and have them go out to places and recruit for you and just give you the names of people that they had great experiences with. There's lots of different ways to find the right salespeople, but I will tell you this, and I know this from my my years in retail, a quality sales guy means about fifteen dollars to $20,000 a month. I mean, I'm talking about the baller of the ball of salespeople that just freaking crush it. You put one of those guys in an underperforming store, and they'll crush it for you. And we often kind of think that we are the best salespeople because we know our products, we know our services, and we're really not because (laughs) we don't have time to do the follow-up because if you don't do the follow-up, you're not even really selling. Mm. You may be great with people, but if you don't follow up after the fact and get them to commit to do a deal with you, then shoot. I mean, 
yeah, you could be the best salesperson if that's all you had to do, but you got to do all that other stuff as a founder. Yeah, you can't be. It's like NASCAR. You know, when the car comes in, you got one role. You need to do that role. You need a team who can change the, you know, change the tires while you're gassing the car, whatever that is, right? Everyone's got their role. You can't be doing it all on your, on your own. Absolutely. I love that. And I love what you mentioned. Again, you said it there in passing. Probably didn't even think it. I hope people caught that. He said, if you don't do the follow-up, you're not really selling. Why is that, Rob? Oh, I mean, how many times has someone said they want to buy from you or reach out and you do a demo and you thought the demo went great and you did not follow up? You did not take the deal to the next the next step. You yeah. did not push the deal forward or you did a follow up. You did one follow up. Yeah. I mean, there's salespeople that have closed deals that I've bought from that literally pestered me for three years to get a deal. And they got the deal because they were persistent. And people buy based on how itchy it is. If it's really not that itchy, they're not going to buy. But if you get them at the right moment where they become itchy, then they need the ointment and you're there. I love that. Itchy. We used to call it a bleeding neck. Like the more serious the problem, if you got a bleeding neck, you'll oh, yeah. just throw. But I love itchy because it's just a better, if it's a little itch, it's eh, whatever. But when you're itching, you're like, just get rid of this itch for me. I love that. You know, and there is such, such a close relationship. I mean, because even in marketing, they say, because I'm more of a marketer than a sales rep. I'm the guy that helps generate hundreds of leads for the sales team and tries to make sure they're pre-qualified, pre-educated, and that we've solved whatever they might, problem they might have beforehand. So that way what we're selling is the next logical step. But it's similar. We want to be in their inbox. You want to be in front of them in 21 days. If they haven't heard from you in 21 days, they've forgotten who you are. And I know people who have a list. We mentioned lists before. Just maintaining an email list, a contact database. I mean, right off the bat, you've got a prospect list, a buyer's list, and a past customer list, right? And so just with those three lists, just by nurturing those three lists, you can generate such deep relationships and, and sequential sales that I've seen it just for, through my mentors. I remember I was at an event. It was a $1,400 three-day event. And then just as a demo, Guru on the stage was saying, hey, you know, who's been on my list for six months? Who's been on my list for one year, eight years? You know, I got all the way up. Sorry, I got all the way up. The last person had been on his list for eight years and never bought an item and then bought this $1,400 ticket for a three-day event he was putting on. You know, so wow. follow-up is huge. Let me add something, Daryl. Yeah. If you or let's say your client had taken that list and actually called one of those people, mm -hmm. he could have bought seven years ago. A lot of people, like I get these emails all the time for people that I signed up for something and kind of lost, I got a zillion things going on. So if, if it's not bright and shiny in front of me, sometimes I just kind of forget about it. But there's a lot of people that, that I'm on their email list. If they called me, had a chat with me, I would probably reveal to them a stumbling block on why I have not pursued doing business with them. Mm -hmm. And it, it could either be maybe the price was too high or maybe... I was confused about what the offer was, or I didn't know what I would, how I would benefit. And having that engaged time conversation, I may just sign up. I mean, that's why the telephone still works. Unfortunately, we're not good at it anymore, a lot of us, uh, because we don't do it as much. Yeah, we're in a world of numbers and distant relationships. Part of one of the things I love about these interviews is I get to call up all my old friends and be like, hey, nice to hear your voice, not just text and message you, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
So we've got some great tips. First of all, sales is about meeting new people. It's about solving problems for them. It's something that takes time and it does take resilience because you can come up against a lot of negativity. It takes a lot of experience. It's something you have to get used to, something you have to be organized and disciplined about. It involves trying to relate with people on a personal level, trying to get them to engage with whatever you're doing as opposed to just talking at them, which you mentioned was barking before, but to actually get them engaged in a conversation, the power of using stories. We talked about how to find some sales reps. We talked about how you can use your own personal list. People see around town that the best sales reps you probably know about aren't the ones looking for work because the ones that can sell aren't unemployed. They can sell. So they can sell anything. They probably get themselves another job anytime. So that's a really big tip right there. I loved about for people getting started, how they could just find some of these people and just offer, hey, could you just sell this on top of what you're already selling since you're already speaking to my clients anyways? I mean, any sales rep would love that. It's a chance for them to make more money for their hour invested in the day. And that's what they're trying to do, right? So love that as well. Or you could find a flurry of people to help send you leads called Bird Dog, right? Bird Dog, the relationships. Mm -hmm. And I liked how you talked about when your sales rep first come that you can't spend 120 days training them and then send them out and have them figure it out for themselves, that you already need to know who your prospects and customers are. And I mean, what would you recommend if you don't know? I guess it's just get on the phone and start talking to people with them. Right. Even though you're doing everything, you still need to kind of figure that part out. You got to know who your customers are. You have to be able to tell them where to go, who to talk to and what the value proposition is. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. You got to have a plan. And, you know, one of the things I train people is the exact opposite of what big corporations do. And they tend to do the you know four months of training and then they put the guys out in the field. Right. I trained the opposite. I said, when you first hire a salesperson, if it's, it's B2B selling. And they're going to go out and talk to strangers every day. The first day, I will teach them how to make the pitch in a door-to-door conversation, meaning they walk in, hey, I'm with XYZ Printing. I just wanted to hand you my card and let you know that we have this special on printing or whatever. Here's our contact information. Can I have your business card? Like That's all I would train a salesperson to do day one. That's all they had to do. My next step is, all right, can I get this guy to do this for two weeks? And at the end of two weeks... He's either eligible for training or I need to move on to somebody else. Hmm. And then so the the model is uncover whether they have the drive and fearlessness to talk to strangers first, Hmm. not after. Uh So many people go through that four months. They put them out in the field and they hear back from the sales rep. And the sales rep is, "Uh, I just don't think this job is for me. Hmm. I just paid four months of your training. Uh uh Now I know. You shouldn't know that then. You can literally know in 24 hours. I've told many people to pay double for the first two weeks. Pay them double what you were going to pay them. And all you're really wanting to understand is whether they have the drive and motivation to sell. Because Mm. so many people will appear to until you, you pull the gun out. And they got to do something. Yep. So put them out there. Get them. I like that. Two weeks. Just meet people. That's all I want you to do. Yep. Just go. And I. And you know what? Hell, if you just gave them a list of the shittiest prospects in the town to go call on, people that are unqualified, the purpose isn't to sell those first two weeks. The purpose is just find out if they're scared to talk to strangers. If you have a role that involves talking to strangers, why on earth would you hire someone that wasn't willing to talk to strangers? Uh, now, they'll all tell you they're willing to talk to strangers until you literally pull out the gun, gun to your head, talk to a stranger. Oh, I'm scared. So it sounds like, I mean, you really simplified this in a lot of ways, to be honest. I mean, first of all, releasing the owner, feeling like they have to do all the sales. Now, they probably should develop some sales skills. I mean, 
as the owner, you want to get your hands dirty a little bit. But I love what you're saying. I'm a thousand percent on board with you can't be in all seats at the same time. So if you want to be the owner, you can't be the front end sales rep. I fully no. agree with that. Said that yeah. before, but I also think as an owner, you need to have experience. You need to know what you're what you're expecting, and you know you need to have kind of first that way you can properly manage. Even if your role is not necessarily the manager, you still have to manage people at some extent. So you got to know what it's like to be in that position. So anyone oh, yeah. listen to this, you should probably do that yourself. You might already do it. You might do it better than anyone you hire. But I love that. And, um, and just the follow up, and that. So then the first step is just can they talk to strangers? Because if they're friendly enough and they talk to enough people and they just build really good at building relationships and just treat people right, they're probably going to make more sales just by having those bases covered. Is that Absolutely. accurate? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And you know, to, to add to that, you know, another thing an owner can do is if you're in a very highly complex sales process where you, you're calling someone on the phone trying to get a meeting with a decision maker, we have a tool in our system that does these recorded calls. And so if you're able to document what success looks like, so it could be, let's say you have a, a software product that you're selling with demos, you may want to record a bunch of demos. And so the, the benefit of recording either a phone call, prospecting call, or an actual demo, inside that call, you're going to hear how to get past the gatekeeper. Uh, what are the key objections? You know, most companies only have eight objections. There's only eight reasons they're not going to buy. If you're able to answer how those how to overcome those eight objections in a very clearly defined way, and one way to do that is recording. So could you imagine, let's say you are the solar sales guy and you are you are doing all the calls, you're doing the appointments. Well, there's no reason you couldn't go and start recording those today and then build this book of this is how it works database. Uh-huh. And so when you hire your sales guy, you figured out that he's ready to talk to strangers. Uh-huh. Then you make him listen on his own dime, 50 recordings of how to make successful calls for you. Uh-huh. And he's going to learn all that stuff because you've already done it once. And so once he can learn from the best and what you're doing by listening to those recorded calls, then you're going to set him up for success. But so many people don't have that data so they say, all right, good luck, good selling. So how do I make a cold call for you? How does that really look like? Mm. What, when I do a demo, what am I supposed to talk about? What's the key points? Mm. Um, that's why so many companies over the years use uh, very canned sales presentations with flip charts right. because they wanted you to follow the system. Right. And in fact, if you do follow the system, they, they typically – they figured out it works. <laughs> uh, but the, the challenge is, yeah, is getting the data and in, – into the right hands of the people that are going to be doing it in the field. Most of the time, they'll spend their first 12 months on the job trying to figure out what the sales process is because the owner doesn't even know. Mm, mm, mm. So I got two questions for you. One is, if you say someone's listening to this call and they don't know what the sales process is, how do they find out? How do they find that out? Uh, well, if you have a salesperson that's successful on a team, he probably has a process. If you don't, I always, you know, listen, you can try to figure out all this out on your own, but if you hire somebody, you can get there a whole lot faster. You know, and I'm a huge believer in hiring coaches and hiring people better and smarter than me, because if I can buy your time and, and get years of experience with four or 500 bucks, why on earth would I try to figure it out on my own? Yeah, I love that. And that right there, if anyone listening to that, that sounded off to them, you need to reevaluate that. Because there's a difference between players who get it and people who don't. I mean, some people, some people, you have to labor for them. If they write you a check for $10,000, they want to see sweat beating down your face. They want weeks of work. In fact, I'm actually, I have a guy, he's 
done five million in seven, eight months with his client, and he's tripping over what my fees are supposed to be. And he's literally just as before our interview here, I got a text from him because it's like he's gone all the way around the bar. And he's like, "Look, man, all right, I just need your help because he's like swimming in cash, and it's not like I'm charging him more. I'm charging exactly what I charge everyone. But he, like you, like you brought up, right? He hadn't figured that part out yet. It seemed like he just, you know, he just did it right. I don't want to downplay anything he's done. He's done a lot of things right. But he, like he said, he didn't know whether it was worth just let me just pay to get that info right and then i can just move forward and move forward with speed versus have to spend two i don't know how many months has been like it's you know what i mean like all this wasted time and going in circles and meanwhile you're getting no progress some people get it just give me the solution let me plug it in let me move forward way faster sometimes you have to wonder how much money are you leaving on the table by not doing this and this is for people that are afraid to advertise people who are afraid to hire their builder team or their sales reps how much money are you losing because you don't have the capacity to take on more customers how much money you're leaving on the table because you don't have that's what i'm thinking right now this whole interview i've been like i need more salespeople on my team because how much money am i leaving on the table i have so many prospects that could be called you know just even with this podcast like i'm leaving it's gonna upset me way too much money on the table and that's something you really have to look at and so that's a really smart thing for you to say because sometimes it's the whole concept like hey rob if you know if i were to give you if you were to give me a dollar and i would give you ten dollars how quickly would you do it you know people like right away Okay, well, if you were giving me ten grand, I was going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. How fast would you do it? People are like, well, you know, like it changes. All right, you got to give me a hundred thousand. I'll give you a million. People start getting weary, but it's the same principle. So don't yeah, to- you know, a, a good example of that is how cheap it is to hire someone to do something for you. I could grab my phone and click on Uber, and someone will drive me to my next destination, and it's so cheap it might as well be free. And I could, be, I could be doing a ton of other things in the car. Now, on the reverse, if you're hiring a coach and he's charging you, let's say he's charging you $500 an hour. But what do you get out of that? That's the whole purpose of it. And, yeah. you know, you could spend the next five years figuring out or just pay someone to let them get that itch over with. Well, that's, there's a story. The story of this guy, Joe, is water heater breaks down and he calls up the water heater mechanic or the plumber or whoever that is. As you can tell, I've never had my water heater break down. But anyways, the guy shows up and meets Joe, and they go in, and he's like, all right, where's your water heater? He says, oh, okay, and he takes a look at it, and he thinks for a minute, pulls out his hammer and bangs on the side of the thing three times and just kicks back up. And Joe's like, man, that's so awesome, great. You know, I'm not going to be that late for work. Thank you, appreciate that. How much are you? And the guy's like, oh, you know, the bill, I'll mail you the bill. Oh, perfect, thank you. Oh, done. So away they go. Joe goes to work, has a great day, gives his presentation, lands a client, everybody's happy. Later that week, he gets a letter in the mail. It's a bill for 100 bucks, And he's like, what, 100 bucks? This guy just hit the tank with a hammer. He calls him up, and he's like, hey, you know, I got your bill, but I don't really understand it. And the, the mechanic guy is like, okay. Well, the plumber is like, okay, let me itemize that for you. I'll send it back. Don't worry about it. It's like, okay. Hangs up. Next day, he gets a letter. It's an invoice. Hitting your water heater with a hammer, $1. Knowing where to hit, $99. Yeah. So that's the whole concept there. You could be sitting there pulling. Yeah, so... Again, that's a really powerful – it seems small, but it's a very, very powerful thing because it's just the speed of implementation. I'm so happy when there's a tool that I can get for 20 bucks that will just solve my problems and I can just move forward versus having to MacGyver and duct tape stuff and troubleshoot. Well, that's so, what we do as bootstrappers sometimes. We, do, we try to do things on the cheap and it, it gets us back. I mean, it does. <laughs> yeah. 
It always does. I've done that. And in fact, I've recently, I've committed that mistake the fourth time and it's for hiring people, picking, I got to get out of my system, but I like to, I like to be able to give people amazing bonuses. That's my thing. It's a lot of my work is international. So I like to hire people all over the world, but sometimes I should just pay the person the 25 bucks an hour and just get, you know, like someone who speaks my language well and does it in versus mess around with, you know, great. It's three bucks an hour or five bucks an hour. And I can give you a thousand bucks a month and change your whole family's life. But I need this work done really fast. So that's a great point. Now, Rob, I want to ask you about compensation for the sales reps. If anyone here is listening and they've never hired a sales team before, you know, we talked about some ways that you could get if you had no money. Do you recommend that it's a purely compensation based? Is it performance based? Is it a blend? Would you wean someone off? Obviously, you, you know, we're asking for a simple rule when there's a lot of different situations. But if someone's just starting out, if they have a local business or if they've got an online business, whatever it is, but they just have like a little operation and they've never hired a sales team before, how would you recommend that they get started? Most situations, you know, number one, no one's going to come work for you if they can't eat. Right. Okay. Now, if they're already getting fed somewhere else, like say they have another job and they're going to monetize their relationships, that's easy, right? Their Uh salary's covered, right? Uh And all this is just gravy on top of whatever they're doing. But let's say you need to hire somebody and you got to start somewhere. So they got to have some kind of salary. You know, there's plenty of positions, jobs out in the field that have, you know, commission, only, which is very hard to get people. You generally don't get good, great people at that stage. Now, there's tons of jobs out there that can make unbelievable, unlimited amount of money in their commission only. And, and if you can get a guy that believes in your product and has a customer to do it, that's an awesome win. But generally, I want to see that 50% of their pay is a salary and the other 50% of what they can earn. And so, you know, successful salespeople that have figured out that what they blow out of their top hole of their face makes them money. And so they're going to find the best place to use that resource. And so they're going to look for the highest paying opportunities to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you got to pay if you want to play. So you can't just you can't be cheap in that department. You're just not going to get great, great people. Now, you can train people to be great salespeople and you can get a less expensive person to come do it. But um, honestly, you're better paying for the experience and getting what what you you need to be successful and to grow your sales. Don't be afraid to spend the money there because it will pay off. I, I teach a lot of people that it doesn't necessarily have to be compensated based on closed deals. So a lot of times if you have a long sales cycle, the millennial generation, they want things today. They, <laughs> they can't think that far ahead. And so you may in fact have a compensation structure that's built on – you know what? I'll give you a dollar for every time you pick up the phone and talk to someone for more than 130 seconds to this prospect list. Okay. And then every time you book me a meeting with, when I have actual a call with them and they're the decision maker, I'm going to pay you 30 bucks. And so then it's not whether or not they have get lucky today. They just did the work. Uh-huh. And then once you get them trained in, all right, if we do the work, I get paid. But if I do better work, I get more pay. Right. So you teach them the difference between quantity versus quality, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's just one of those steps. But you can easily motivate someone. You know, here's the, the challenge. If you do a compensation structure where you just pay for wins, if they have three or four days and no wins, yeah. they get demotivated yep. and then they look for another job. Yep. Yeah, they look for an easy way out. Easy it's way out. Stress right. or something. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So 
do you have, we talked about meeting people, but what would be, do you feel, because you've been in this game for a long time, what habits do you feel have helped you be successful as a business owner and a sales rep? So this is something I do with my sales team is I do my own podcast for my sales team. And I interview my best salespeople and I make them tell me about what their day is like. Mm. And nine times out of 10, high performing salespeople have a routine they stick with and they're successful with it. It's as simple as, you know, most of them honestly wake up and work out early, but they have a plan when they're in their car, they're listening to some awesome music, they're getting jazzed for their day, and they're ready to kill it. And they're not letting any negative energy enter their world of selling because a negative phone call from a family member or a friend that is is Debbie Downer can totally affect a salesperson's day. Uh-huh. So you should not let anything infect the positivity that you have if you're in sales. So if there's something that's going to taint your day, don't let it happen in the beginning of the day. Don't call your Aunt Shirley who is whining about her marriage. Like, don't get those negative energies flowing or don't read your newsfeed with all your depressing friends. You know, you know, put that off until the end of the day. So if you got someone negative you have to deal with, don't let them affect the beginning of the day. But, you know, the key thing, to, a long story short, someone who has a plan that includes always, you know, doing their prospecting. If, if prospecting is important to grow your business, then you can never deviate from the prospecting. I love that. And there's, I want to back that up. I got this thing called the self journal. It was something I saw and I was like, sure, I'll check it out. Someone did a Kickstarter campaign and it's just another, it's like a 13 week planner. But what I really liked about it was in the beginning, I talked about the 20 mile March and that there's these two expeditions and you have to forgive me because I don't have the book. Maybe I have the book. Is it the freedom journal? Uh, not the Freedom Journal. I know John Lee Dumas. He's been on our show. I've been on his. I've had lunch at his place. I have bought a copy of his, but this was a different one called the Self Journal. Uh, it was hmm. made by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs, same sort of deal. But the 20 Mile March was a story of these two teams on an expedition to go to the Arctic. And they had two different strategies. One was going to wait for good weather and then march as far as they could that day. And so basically they were going to go all out on the days of good weather and then they were going to rest and recuperate on the days of bad weather to try to keep morale up. And the other team's plan was we're going to march 20 miles every day no matter what. If it's raining, if it's snowing, even if it's the most beautiful day and we could keep going, we're going to stop at the 20-mile mark. That's all we do in a day. That way we conserve our energy, conserve our morale. And of the two expeditions, the one that did the 20-mile march every day made it there successfully with their team intact and everyone well. The ones that pushed when the times were good and then waited when it rained, they died along the way. Mm. So the concept was, I love when you said they had a routine. That's just what jumped out at me. They had a routine. They had a 20-mile march where every morning, no matter what, they do their prospecting. And then they did something before that that got them into a great state of mind because you're meeting new people and they're going to take on, especially it's a new relationship, one person's going to be the leader and set the tone. And if you want that to be you and you want this to be a feel-good thing, you have to be in a feel-good state of mind. And that's why you mentioned the things that you did. I love that. That's so well done. And that's a great, great tip to end it on. Robert, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? 
No, man, I think we've covered a bunch today, Daryl. Yeah, we get some great tips. And none of this is super sexy or glamorous, but, man, if you're out to grow your business, make a lot of money, I mean, there is some great stuff. I highly recommend people listen to this a couple of times. I mean, I kept trying to, like, recap because I'm like, did you see? Did you catch that? Did you ca-? Like, I've taped and taken notes. So if you didn't have a pen and paper, you definitely want to listen to this again because we only really retain 10 15% of what we hear and retain a lot more when we hear and we write it down, even if you never look at it again. So please make sure you take lots notes there was was a great call great practical advice and i think at the end of the day if there was a theme for this call it's build your teams your sales teams your fulfillment teams build your teams get those people there because the definition of entrepreneur is a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses and so robert thank you so much for coming today for helping point us in the right direction really value and appreciate you if anyone here is really vibed with what you've said or they want to get in more information they want to know some of the tools you use how do they get in touch I'm easy to get a hold of. I'm Robert at callproof.com. You can also check out my blog at callproof.com forward slash blog. Perfect. And then there's a tool callproof for these people that are building their teams. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Shameless plug. No shame because <laughs> you gave a ton of great info and I'm sure it's a fabulous tool and I'm definitely going to take a look at it myself. And again, just Robert, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Hey, thanks, Daryl. You take care. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.